Welcome back to episode 9 of the Therapy Explained podcast. This week I'll be exploring somatic experiencing with David Lilly, a somatic experiencing practitioner. As David explains, somatic experiencing has its roots in the observation of how animals in the wild process and recover from stress and trauma. We discuss what a typical session is like, who may not be suitable for somatic experiencing, out-of-body experiences, and why somatic experiencing might be a better approach to treating trauma than EMDR. Please remember to spread the word about this podcast, and if you haven't done so already, subscribe and rate it. Hello, welcome back to the Therapy Explained podcast. Uh, This week I'm joined by David Lilly. David's originally from Colorado, now based in Wicklow, and works as a trauma therapist specialising in somatic experiencing. Hi David, thanks a million for joining me today. Hi James, glad to be here. If you could get started, David, on what is somatic experiencing? Well, it's uh, if you look at the, the websites or read any of the books, there's a long introduction, but from my viewpoint, Basically, it's quite literal. Somatic means of the body, and experiencing is what we try to do. That is, instead of just talking about or uh, making up a story, of actually creating an experience. And in an experience, you actually feel things. When you experience something, it's quite different than just telling somebody about it. And so, when we're doing somatic experiencing, and which is especially useful for things that are buried in the unconscious, mostly in the brain stem, um, it doesn't really help to just talk about it. But if you re-experience it and feel the sensations and uh, carry the experience through again, you can allow it to complete and that then can provide healing of things that are traumatic. So that's the short answer. So it's a a different approach to the traditional talk therapy, so not necessarily to making sense of things through words, more an experience of it. Um, Yes. It sounds like that completes an incomplete uh, initial experience. Yes. The, The part of the theory is that when something happens that overwhelms the nervous system, that it creates a traumatic memory mostly in the brainstem, not just in your cortex, in your neocortex or thinking brain. And that experience is too big at the time. That's what makes it a trauma. And you can talk about it forever, but it never repairs the damage done. And if you can go back and re-experience the traumatic event in a safe, controlled, careful way, it allows the body to 
experience and contain and continue with that experience until the feelings and sensations and the trauma memory are completed and we often call it discharged where they're the energy bound up in the trauma is released and then you're free of the effects of the trauma. So that's the the basic So that that energy is trapped in the body. What is it that you do? I'm not sure is it as uh, is there a simple answer for that but what is it that you do to do that in somatic experiencing to release that trauma? Well the there's a, a wide range of things, but the simple outline is that uh, you establish a relationship as you would in any therapy, and then uh, I do checks with the person to see if their body is resourced enough in order to deal with uh, potentially stressful memories of a traumatic experience and then if they are we do with we continue with therapy if they're not we have to do other things that allow them to become more resourced to where they're capable of dealing with the trauma and then um, we do some initial exercises to start off in a state where their body feels safe and calm and um, peaceful and light as opposed to heavy. And then I have them relate the story of their traumatic experience starting from when it was over with every experience that happens there is some point at which it ends if it didn't you wouldn't be here you know if it ends by you dying then there's no no residue of the trauma and there's nothing to do but if you've survived and gotten through the trauma, no matter how difficult it was, and you're still around to tell the story, then we want to go to the point of the story where you knew you were going to live and you were all right. And when people do that, they will, as they bring up the memory of, you know, getting out of the smashed car or uh, surviving uh, a burning building or whatever the experience was then uh, we want them to start by remembering that and then as they do they will experience things in their body they will feel their breathing may be affected their, they might have a wide variety of sensations of uh, nausea or uh, shaking or trembling 
but that are still there as part of the, even at the state of which they survived the, the trauma. And we allow that then to process and complete whatever the body needs to do, if it needs to shake, if they need to sweat, if they, and as you do that, as you pay attention to the sensations in your body, then uh, the body will respond. When you are aware of something consciously, then the body is aware of it as well. And if there's something that needs to be done, blood needs to flow in certain areas, um, muscles need to relax instead of contract, uh, breathing expand instead of gasping or stopping, heart rate may need to slow down. Whatever the physical responses are, if you just stay with them and allow them to happen, they will settle down in general because that's the normal thing. The homeostatic position of the body is to regulate whatever feelings, sensations, functions are going on and bring them back to the stable, um, healthy condition that is represented by the body properly being regulated. Mm. And so, so the same as if you're to that's what we oh, sorry sorry David go that's all right go ahead I, I was just going to say so similar to if you're too hot your body knows what to do to cool yourself down if you need to go to the toilet it'll send signals if you need to uh, if you're hungry it will um, send signals so the body knows what to do with whatever is going on exactly and it turns out it does that even at the deep unconscious level and that's the reason why it doesn't work just to talk about it. You actually have to feel it and experience it so the body can go through that and come back into its regulated state. And then once, and sometimes it, you know, for very severe traumas, it may take quite a while to just get through the part where you know you've survived and where you recover from the shock. But, and, and, but once that is done and you really have the experience of surviving and completing the, the trauma, that then can give you more resource to be able to go back and face the, the beginning and the difficult parts of the trauma. It, and the important thing is, in starting this way, is that at a, for certain traumas, the body thinks that it's going to die, and that's the often the uh, persistent memory is, I died, I didn't make it, I survived. It was, I had this horrible thing happen, and then everything blanked out, and that was the end. And so that's something we have to contradict and remove, is that sense of dying or the possibility of dying, so that you know that however horrible it was, you did come out the other side, and you 
are alive and that memory of death was incorrect and so you can go beyond that and um, that's a, a brilliant explanation david so just the last point you said there it's like that belief in, is frozen in time and along the lines of memory reconsolidation theory maybe is how you can uh, update that memory and that belief but also so much more just to come back to something you mentioned a little bit earlier uh, david about is the body is you check to see if the body is resourced enough can you tell me a little bit more about that the general um, sense is that if a person is incapable of doing something that is if they don't have the capacity to uh, function fairly completely in the world that's a sign that they they don't have the resources so for people who for instance are psychotic or whose uh, condition is extremely fragile they don't have the capacity to re-experience any kind of real trauma they've been damaged so much and they're so unhealthy that they can't do it so if that's the situation you're in with the client then you don't try to work in this way at all you have to do things where they go out and and recover and it can be from the viewpoint of a person can be fairly healthy in general but they haven't slept for two weeks because of some condition and if that's the state that they're in or if they're in a situation where which is fairly traumatic and they're exposed to it every day like someone who's being abused at home with domestic violence or whatever then they don't they won't have the capacity in order to do the repair work so you just can't do it some of it's simple if they if they haven't been sleeping that you give them permission to sleep and send them home and if if you have to influence parents or family to give them the direction that they're to allow this person to sleep and rest um, if they haven't eaten for a long time and they're very anorexic or so forth they may need to, to stabilize their diet as if they're in a situation as I say which is traumatic you have to get them out of that you have to either find uh, other place that they can live in a different care or uh, find uh, actual shelter I've had people who are on the verge of homelessness um, and they have to, to get stabilized before you can do any work with them it's like uh, I think one of my teachers said you know if somebody comes to work with you and they're starving they haven't eaten for a month or something you don't try to solve their psychological problems you have to get them to eat and become healthy enough before they can do anything in terms of uh, recovery so when they can get to the point where they're they're resourced enough 
and you've built that yeah. therapeutic relationship um, then that's where you can start on the the processing which sounds like it starts at the end of the uh, trauma then you go back to the start is that right is that the kind of sequence you take that, that's right that's the that's my process that's not something that I learned in the training that's something that I developed how is this process facilitated David you know is it I mean is there a range of things that you do or is it more that you just hold that space so that the client can um, let the body you know work uh, as it as it knows how most of the time, it's uh, it's like standard therapy. Two people sitting in chairs at a reasonable distance from each other and talking about the trauma and the events that happen and taking them one at a time and working through them. Uh, that's the... That's how it generally works. For, for people who are extremely traumatized, people who are what we call complex PTSD or where your childhood was traumatic and it's not a matter of a few events like a car crash or a earthquake or something that's specific where you had a years and years of being beaten and mistreated and sometimes tortured, then then it gets much more difficult. And another factor of the resourcing aspect is that most of the time, clients have to be pretty resourced in order to come to therapy. They have to be able to make a telephone call or find somebody else that they're in close relationship with to do that. And so most people that are capable of getting to the therapy room and making an appointment and coming to see you are going to be resourced enough to do this kind of work. I would say maybe 5%, small percentage of the people that, that do manage to call me and come in when I actually try to work with them are too traumatized, not resourced enough in order to do the work. And so they, I have to refer them on to doing something else. Sometimes it's really personal. That is, if a woman comes in who's been severely raped and mistreated by men, then she won't have the capacity to be in a room alone with, an, with a man and be able to relate to them in a way that's healing. And so I can't do it. I have to refer them to a woman. And so, and any other factors that are like that. If somebody was beaten up by a man that looks like me, I won't be able to work with them because there's no way they'll feel safe in order to do the work. And that has happened with a few clients that uh, they come and they try to do the work and it, it just doesn't work and so I have to refer them on. I had one woman who'd been in a car crash and she ha had been suffering for so long 
that when she came in and we tried to talk about it, she wasn't able to drive to the therapy or back home again because it was too activating and so we couldn't do the work. That sounds really tough, like it can be, uh, the situations people can find themselves in can be you know, so hard that they need to be able to scaffold before they can even attempt to work on those yeah. problems. Yeah, and sometimes it kind of breaks your heart to see somebody suffering and not to be able to do anything about it. I just wondered if we could come back to the start, in a sense, and how somatic experiencing was discovered, developed. Well, the 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 main creator and still is the teacher of it is Peter Levine, who began this work. Uh, somewhere in the early 90s and he uh, was getting his he's got two PhDs and one of them involved studies that had to do with stress and he was puzzled why animals uh, in the wild have these incredibly traumatic experiences, things chasing them, biting them, injuring them, uh, all kinds of difficult situations, and yet they seem to recover and shake it off and go out and continue functioning without any big problem. Whereas human beings with less stressful and difficult events end up becoming disabled and unable to function. And so he was trying to find out what it was different between the animals and the people. And the main thing that he found was that humans that the animals have natural ways of releasing the energy bound up in the traumatic event. Uh, shaking, resting, uh, changes in their system regulation that naturally happen and occur and then they recover. Whereas people suppress these things and as a result, they don't recover. So, for instance, I've had a few clients that uh, have, like one woman was riding a horse, and the horse threw her off and then fell and landed on top of her and uh, smashed her, her left her left arm and uh, her helmet had a strap on it but the bill of the helmet was struck and pulled up and so it damaged her jaw. So after the accident she recovered from the basic stuff but in going to physiotherapy to deal with the arm, her arm would shake and tremble and the physiotherapist would stop that and wouldn't allow her to do it. And it was also, she, if she happened when she was with other people, 
it was embarrassing. It would just happen spontaneously and make her look silly. So she didn't shake her arm. And as a result, she recovered from the basic injuries, but she didn't have much use of her left arm. And when she came to see me, and we went through the, the experience again, when we got to that part of that experience, she went through a tremendous amount of shaking and trembling and almost thrashing, and then moving her arm in ways that were almost impossible to the limits of what an arm can do without breaking. And after she did that shaking and moving for about 45 minutes, all of a sudden she said, oh, I've got my arm back. And she had a sense of being able to recognize and use that arm again. So that's the kind of thing that's involved. And that's true of a lot of the functions in human beings is that when, when our bodies are trying to get us to do something that other people would see as strange or unusual or, or uh, weird, then we don't do them. And by not doing them and by not allowing the body to do what it needs to do, it never heals. Mm, it's uh, really fascinating. So you've seen yeah. animals in the wild don't get trauma. It seems that people do, um, namely because there isn't that completion of the experience. And that in therapy, with somatic experiencing, you can you can reach that, that end point. And it almost sounds like yes. how people would have um, maybe described exorcisms in the past. You know, if people would have witnessed something like that, what they might have interpreted as spirits leaving someone's body you know that kind of uh almost unnatural movement that was required is that something that's ever come yes. up in the somatic experiencing how they might uh, have interpreted that in the past as an exorcism yeah i actually one of my early clients before i really knew much of what i was doing um had been sexually abused by her grandfather and when we went to work on uh, that abuse, uh, when she got into the experience, she had the sense of this huge kind of ball or vision of energy rushing out from her and leaving. Like the, and it was like the spirit of her grandfather being embedded within her. But that's that's pretty rare. People do have some semi-mystical experiences at times, especially when there's an experience that involves death or near death. People have very um, intense and um, graphic sense of out-of-body experiences when they've had an experience that was near death and they will report that they're for instance they had one woman that was in a really bad car accident where she pulled out of a side road 
and another car coming by at high speed smashed into the car. A horrible car crash. And when we got to the point, it, it takes quite a while to get to the actual, what we call T0, the moment of the greatest impact or the most difficulty in the trauma. But when you get to that point, uh, and she's describing it, you know, I'm, I'm about to pull out and the, the, there's a, I see I have a little glimpse of a car coming out on the right. And then as you go further and you ask them what their perspective is, she says, well, I'm up in the air looking down and I see these two cars about to come together. So that's the, the body's defense of when something truly overwhelming is going to happen, the, the consciousness of the person leaves and goes somewhere else. So they're not, you know, in a way they're not there. They're not in their bodies when the trauma happens. And that's how they survive the trauma. And they have, they actually had that perspective. They, people can be up in the ceiling looking down at an abuse, up in the air looking down at their cars. They can be off in the distance, behind themselves, all kinds of different things, but they literally leave their bodies. And then uh, they're able to tolerate it. Worked with clients myself who have had really horrific experiences where they've noted that as well that kind of out-of-body experience and um, maybe sometimes known as dissociation as you say a way of keeping that person safe and um, from the pain the, the inevitable pain so when fight or flight isn't an option it's like the eject button yeah and i'm after all the years of working with it i think it's pretty literal i think the sense of consciousness, the, who you are, you know, you're, you're in your essence, actually does leave your body. And when you die, it's the same thing. That part of your consciousness leaves. It continues on when the body dies. So you go out of body, but you don't come back. Except mm. you may come back at another time. But that's what death is is that and and likewise obtaining consciousness happens when the sperm meets the egg and that's when you consciousness comes into your body and continues on that is a uh, a topic that I'd love to talk more about um yeah that's a whole big brevity. topic in itself mm, absolutely <laughs> yeah um, but I do think these types of therapies are inclined to in that direction. You know, I've had EMDR myself and um, on at least one occasion I had it, uh, it, it, it. It's not like something normal, as in something that you'd experience in normality. It's, it feels more spiritual, more mysterious, similar with internal family systems, which I guess is maybe in the realm of this kind of therapy, more contemporary therapy. Uh, a lot of it talks about you know our parts and it having a spiritual element to it 
so it is really interesting that these uh, this side of things comes up yeah and in a way it's that's part of uh, the other thing that happens with trauma is that the self can fragment to where you end up mm. with different parts and when it it's at its extreme you get multiple personality disorder but uh, in most cases uh, those separate parts of a person uh, aren't really that distinct from each other but they definitely come in that way in that one one method talks about um, three parts that are with every trauma. There's a part which contains the trauma, there's a part which is the healthy part, which is what happens without the trauma, and there's a part which um, is the Oh, right, the name's escaping right now, but there's a part that's trying to protect the trauma part. Mm, I think and it's the that, protector parts in internal family systems. You have the exiles and the managers. Um, yeah, right. I spoke with uh, Marie Tierney, an IFS therapist, a couple of episodes back. Uh, for anyone that's interested in parts, uh, we go into it in a bit of detail there. Yeah. Yeah, this is a thing that comes from another practice uh, and the idea is that the the healthy part is the way a person is when everything is fine and the protector part does things to change your behavior so that you don't activate the trauma part and that's a pretty good model. So for instance, if you've been bitten by a dog and when you were four years old and knocked down and it didn't really damage you that much, but it created a, a traumatic experience, then the rest of your life, if you don't get trauma therapy, Whenever a dog comes around, your body starts reacting with intense fear and unconsciously even, you'll just avoid dogs. If you're walking down the street and you see a dog in the distance, you automatically turn, take a different path and don't go near the dog. And that's the protector part that's doing that. Or if you may have friends that you're very close to, but they get a dog and then you have an argument with them and don't go to their house anymore. That's the protector part keeping you away from the dog. And it's not a rational or conscious event at all. It's just happening because of the trauma. And if you do access the trauma part, if something, if you actually are suddenly forced to be near a dog or one jumps in your lap, you go, you actually activate that trauma part and you may re-experience the whole original event of being attacked or knocked down 
by the dog and you see this friendly dog as being that attacker and you go into a total state of panic. And that's what happens when the traumatic memory gets activated. I think there's something to be said about kind of all psychological problems being rooted in trauma and you know you could probably use that model um, for any kind of you know form of anxiety um, which I think there's probably growing uh, a growing community that would support that um, you know as opposed to the DSM approach where you know things are uh, uh, labels or diagnosis if I could just yeah uh, come back to thinking about somatic experiencing uh, alongside other body-based therapies I've spoken to someone about emotional freedom technique EFT and EMDR why might someone choose somatic experiencing over other body-based therapies well it's kind of interesting because um, a large number of my clients are people who have tried everything else they've tried various types of uh, talking trauma, they've tried EMDR, they've tried uh, CBT, they've been to psychiatric hospitals, they've gone through all kinds of recovery programs, etc. And they still have the same issues, they still have the same difficulties. They haven't been healed. So that's sort of the the general sense of the people that I see that get the most benefit is that they finally find something that does change what's going on for them and allow them to function better. Uh, that's the the general sense, mm. but in in the true sense, Robert Scare, who is a, an MD, a doctor that's written some good books about trauma, that worked with Peter Levine, was interviewed and people asked him, he, was, he used to work as a, um, a doctor in a hospital specializing in whiplash injuries for people in cars. And so he has tremendous experience with that side of trauma. And the, the interviewer asked him how many people suffer trauma. And his opinion was 100%. That is, again, my definition of trauma is anytime your nervous system gets overwhelmed. And that can be as difficult as uh, torture or being in a concentration camp and as simple as an infant being left alone for three or four hours with no attention. That can also cause overwhelm. And so because of things like surgery and various types of accidents and injuries, the the sense, my sense is that essentially 100%, almost everyone, suffers from some form of trauma that is mainly accessible 
through something like somatic experiencing. Mm. I, I definitely agree with how we probably all carry around in some degree some form of trauma. As we before we started recording, you mentioned how you you are trained in EMDR as well as somatic experiencing, but you choose to use somatic experiencing over EMDR. Being an EMDR therapist myself, I'm interested to know why you make that choice. What is it about somatic experiencing that uh, would take precedence when uh, offering it for trauma? Well, um, early on in my practice, I had a few clients that had come to me. One of them was a war veteran who uh, had tried using EMDR and in the process of EMDR they got overwhelmed again when they tried to work through their trauma and they end up being what we call re-traumatized or post-trauma, additional trauma. And my sense of EMDR, and this was in the days when people were using actual movement of the eyes following fingers and things like that. And my sense of it was what happened is that with EMDR, especially when you're doing it with the eyes instead of some kind of other dual activation, if you get them into looking at and working on a traumatic memory, it can go from initial sense of it to quite suddenly going right into the heart of, to the T0, to the heart of the trauma. And it goes so fast that they get overwhelmed and then they, they have more trauma to deal with. But if you use EMDR for things like relationship issues and people where their, their difficulties occurred over a long period of time as opposed to a sudden impact injury, then the EMDR kind of compresses that down to where they can work through years of uh, difficulties in relationship that uh, are very effective, but I don't use it with the impact or sudden event mm. traumas. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So there's a floating a flooding element um with EMDR for shock traumas, but maybe it's yeah. you'd be more inclined to use it for interpersonal or the types of traumas that might be described as um, too much for too long rather than shock traumas. Yeah. And I think that's a general thing in that one of the sort of the skills and the art of really working with trauma is to find the right pace and um, awareness of safety and, and resourcing so that you keep the level of experience that the person is having at a reasonable level. You want it to be their activation to be high enough to where they're actually feeling it and experiencing it, but small enough and slow enough so that they can absorb and tolerate and 
complete the, the traumatic event in a way that the body can tolerate it. And by doing that, you increase their capacity as you continue on in the practice. You start with small things and then you work your way up to the bigger things so that they're capable of dealing with more and more uh, intensity of the trauma. Like the traditional graded, appro graded approach to um, prolonged exposure, uh, while you also keep in mind uh, there's like an approximate zone of growth, not too difficult, but not too underactivating or too easy. Um, yes. That's where the, 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 the spot is. The trouble with exposure therapy is that it is you don't really get to do that. Just doing exposure therapy is uh, very difficult and most, I won't say most, a lot of people don't tolerate it and stop going to therapy, especially veterans. It can be quite labor intensive as well and resource intensive and um, having to go yes. do something repeatedly, usually a number, a minimum of five times up to kind of 15 times. Yeah. And you aren't really healing anything. <laughs> you just develop tolerance. You aren't developing capacity. Mm. It's been uh, fascinating, David, and I feel like we've uh, could have spoken about so much more. I think you did an excellent job of um, explaining to me and our listeners what somatic experiencing is I definitely feel like I have a much better grasp of it than I did going into our conversation today so uh, thank you for that you're welcome um, well pleasure speaking to you David thank you for your time um, all the best same to you thank you